Welcome to Ed Talks, an audio podcast presented by Achieve Twin Cities in partnership with the Citizens League. Ed Talks is a lively series of community conversations about public education and related issues that impact our young people. Each Ed Talks features two compelling short presentations by cutting edge educators, youth advocates, students, artists, or community leaders. Ed Talks is supported by a generous grant from the Bush Foundation. This Ed Talks is titled Joy as Catalyst, Utilizing Healing-Centered Practices for Adaptive Change. Our featured speakers include Phasia Barmel, Jason Bucklin, Nakia Hines, Matthew Myrold, and Jewel Reichenberger. When considering the question, what's next in education? The founders of The Collaborative Effect agree that healing is the central through line. These past years have been full of traumatic moments and we cannot expect educators and students to bounce back by brushing past this collective pain. We heal in many ways, but the most accessible way is through intentional and radical joy. In their Ed Talk, Phasia Barmel, Jason Bucklin, Nakia Hines, Matthew Myrold, and Jewel Reichenberger will offer an anecdotal exploration of joyful, relationship-centered schools where students, staff, families, and community members can see and feel that they belong. This passionate group of educators will help lead the way down the path of learning, vulnerability, and healing through radical joy. This virtual Ed Talk was live streamed online on October 27th, 2022. It's Halloween, so my metaphoric theme will be ghost or ghoul, which is an example of something that's neither negative or positive, because who are you to define those rules? I will introduce you to the she ghost or ghoul because there is no binary here. The words and definitions are never abundantly clear. And words and definitions. Her name is Baby Jewel, and she can make you feel fright or uncomfortable or scared like you might not be doing something right. Her intention is good, though. She is here for your growth and to hold you accountable to the babies we all owe. Hi, everybody. My name is Jewel Reichenberger. I use she, her, her pronouns, hers pronouns. I work for Minneapolis Public Schools. I was a teacher, and now I'm an equity coordinator um, working with some of these amazing people um, for the Minneapolis Public School District. Um, that quick poem wasn't to scare you, uh, but in recently doing some shadow work, uh, I've been learning uh, more about Baby Jewel and who she was and how she got here or there, because she's been left, but she comes popping up. Uh, Baby Jewel is the reason I'm standing here with you all today. Baby Jewel, lovingly called Juju by family members, has had a tough life, really tough. And it unfortunately was her way of life, so the trauma and abuse always seemed like that was just the way things were. Baby Jewel was strong and beautiful and loud. She did really well in school. She was super popular and smart. Uh, she walked in school every day with poise and confidence and pride, no matter what she dealt with the night before. She was it, for real, she was it. Uh, but as Baby J got older, her pain changed her slowly. It crept up on her and destroyed her confidence. Her protective relationships weren't enough, and school chose to dim her light instead of molding her into the one that she would inevitably become. They counted me out. They counted her out. Baby Jewel wreaked havoc from hallway to hallway, class to class, inside the school walls and out. Some say, listen closely, if you listen closely in an empty school building at nighttime, 
You can hear baby Jules' blood-curdling scream, yelling obscenities. You would only spew out your worst enemy. Okay, thank God. <laughs> Lord Jesus, all right. <laughs> Not one time did anyone ask her if she was okay or why she was doing the things she was doing. She was forgotten. She became the opposite of good. All of those positive traits about her were so hidden that she became unlovable by her teachers. She turned away from her true self for a while. See, Baby Jewel was not meant to stay in her pain. There were even bigger and better plans for her ahead. Baby Jewel needed love and care and therapy and coping mechanisms. She needed so much more than what she received. There was a teacher, though, a brief encounter. Her name was Miss Augustine, and she just talked to Jewel and made her feel human. Feel human. That's it. That was enough. That drove her. That teacher had Jewel for maybe a half of a school year and made an impact that would last forever just by simply talking to her, by humanizing her. The teacher didn't get rid of Jewel's pain. She didn't stop the abuse. She didn't teach her coping mechanisms. She just gave baby Jewel enough to realize that she would find her way eventually. She believed in her. Years later, baby Jewel reflected on what Miss Augustine did for her and wondered what would she have been like if she had gotten to have her earlier on. After becoming a mother, and experiencing for the first time what unconditional love felt like, Baby Jewel changed. She decided to become a teacher. She decided to be there for others that were like her, that were going through unimaginable pain, but still had so much light in them. Baby Jewel still creeps through the hallway of schools, tapping teachers on the shoulder wherever, whenever, whenever the teachers had enough, reminding the babies of their worth and letting the, the world know that radical love can heal us all. Jewel is here now, but whenever things get to be too much or too hard, baby Juju pops up and gives her all of the love and all of the strength and the purpose she needs to do the work that she does. I'm assuming all of you are educators or in that type of world of education or love people that are in education. Um, and if my assumption is correct, uh, then you've probably met a lot of baby Jewels. The work we do matters. And it is much bigger than we even know. Keep humanizing our babies, loving on them. And although you could not be everything for them, you can show them that they are worthy. And for some, that can be enough. Stink. I know you just clapped, but can we give it up for the vulnerability of Jewel Reichenberger right now? That just made me so happy, genuinely, and she knows that I mean that, and it fits perfectly with what I would like to share with you. But first, let me introduce myself. So good evening. Hello. All right, thank you, because I was prepared to say it again if I didn't get a response. <laughs> Good evening, everyone. My name is Nikia Hines. I use she, her, and hers pronouns, and I'm really, really excited to be here with you tonight. I honor the land upon which we stand, and I really hold deep, deep gratitude for the opportunity and privilege to share this space with you all and with you all at large. Thank you so much for having me. So my girl's over there, but I am a mommy. My man's right there, too. I am a wife. <laughs> my parents are watching. I am a daughter. I am a sister. I am a cousin. I am a friend, and I'm an educator. 
Professionally, I've served, okay, let's do this, as a kindergarten teacher, a first grade teacher, a fourth and fifth grade reading teacher, a literacy specialist, and most recently as a member of Minneapolis Public Schools Equity and Integration Department. I'm also from GI, Gary, Indiana. <laughs> and when I, it was actually when I moved here that my laser focus of trauma-informed practice and care and teaching really got very, very deep. And while I still actually really love to nerd out on just the impacts of trauma and how it affects our bodies and our biology and all the ways that it can just infiltrate our lives, I'm actually here to posit tonight that focusing on our trauma, centering the pandemic, thinking about all the horrific things that have occurred in these last few years, those are not the ways that we move forward. I'm thinking about my favorite book. One of my favorite books of all time is a book called What Happened to You by Dr. Bruce Perry. He's a leading trauma expert and Oprah Winfrey. And in that book, I really love so deeply how Dr. Perry, he shares that the way we see the world, especially if we see it through our trauma or the trauma of someone else, the way we see the world actually shapes our worldview and it shapes what feels possible for ourselves or that person. And so if I, as an educator, no matter how good intended, no matter how well in, intended my heart is, if I only see my students and my babies through the things that have disrupted and wounded them, I'm actually inadvertently not making and creating and holding space for all the healing that is possible. And I can say for myself that my trauma never healed me. So whenever we do, and my friend Jason here, he has taught me so beautifully about how we speak about healing, but the work that we have to do first is our own. So when I think about my own healing, I can definitely say that my trauma has not healed me. Centering and talking about and thinking about the things that have wounded me just make me feel more depleted. And when I was preparing for tonight and thinking about the story I wanted to use to drive this point home, I immediately knew exactly what I was going to share. So last year in February, I was actually diagnosed with breast cancer. Now, I could say thank you and good night and walk off the stage. And you would have access to my trauma, but then what would you do with that? How could you build a connection? What would you think of me? You would probably have maybe empathy, maybe pity, but that's not what I need. So what I didn't share is that I had to have two big surgeries because of the diagnosis. And they were about six months apart. And the second surgery happened in July, I believe. And after that surgery, 10 days, not even two weeks after, I, ex I accepted a new role and was called into come in person. And now this is me, a person who could not yet drive. I could not lift five pounds. I couldn't use a fork literally of my body. And somehow I still had to show up. And I carried so much grief and shame because of the trauma that would not like. I'm like, get out of my way, bruh. And it's like, no. <laughs> And so it, I had to carry it with me. And it was evident because I wasn't at my full capacity. And I am a person who typically thought of myself as this warrior woman who would do anything in the name of advocacy and educational equity. But I had to show up as a wounded warrior. And that, my friends, is when I learned the power of collective healing. There are several people here tonight in the audience that actually refused 
almost annoyingly, but I accepted it, <laughs> refused to allow me to carry that burden alone. So as we think about like what's next, how do we move forward? What I feel is that we think about the words of Dr. Bruce Perry. He shares that actually we heal in community. And that actually social connections, that's what builds resilience. So when we have people around us who they might acknowledge our trauma, but they see the core of who we are, they understand that there is so much more possible, that is the way that we move forward in the healing that is possible for us all. That is the way that we can see our children for who they are and not what has happened to them. That is the way that I healed and realized that I'm enough even when I'm at 40%, if 40% is all I have to offer because the community, the sum of us all, creates a whole that could be greater than I can ever imagine. Thank you all so much. Just a quick thank you to Nakia, Jewel, all of you, and again, everybody else that's here, um, including, um, I was going to say partner, but I'm going to be honest here, uh, my husband, who here, <laughs> over on the side as well. Uh, my name is Jason Buckland. I use he, him pronouns. Um, for the last 18 years, I've been blessed to get to be an LGBTQ youth advocate working in the community. Uh, and for the last 10 years, I've been the LGBTQ program coordinator with Minneapolis Public Schools. Um, Recently, uh, we, we just uh, created the very first uh, gender and sexuality studies class in Minneapolis high schools. Um, and, and I venture to believe, and, and I can get corrected in the comments on uh, YouTube, um, I think that's also the very first uh, gender and sexuality studies class in the state of Minnesota. Wow. Yeah. And so... And so one thing that I, I uh, feel blessed to get to talk about here today is, is both joy and representation and the joy in representation, right? Um, when we created the course, somebody had uh, said to me, they were like, oh, that's really great because people don't know what your community has been through. And I would posit to say they also don't know what we have to offer. Our, our community, and as Nakia was mentioning too, so many times we're defined by our trauma. And we're not always defined by our knowledge, our, our, our scholarship, our literature, our art, our creativity, our ways of living, our ways of surviving, our ways of thriving, all those different things, right? And, and what's the uh, queer and trans community most known for? Well, it's pride, right? It's the pride celebration, right? Rainbows and pride. And, but where does pride come from? Well, it's an antidote for shame. For generations, we were told to feel shame about ourselves. We were told that we don't fit in, that we don't belong in schools. I was originally, my goal uh, in my education journey, uh, I really wanted to be the gay English teacher that taught theater. Like that was like my, that was my like mountain I was climbing. Um, and I had a very well-intentioned college professor who said, well, if you're, this is 1999, uh, if, you're, if you're gay, you can't be a teacher. And the reason for that was all of the propaganda, all the stories, um, especially about gay men as predators, right? Um, and now we actually see a resurgence in that language coming back, I just want to point out. Um, and we all, everybody in this room and everybody who's, who's uh, hearing these words, um, we all have to come up and fight against that kind of language and that sort of piece. Um, 
because when we, when we lower that ability for representation, we give the, our students, our families, our other staff members the implicit or explicit message that you're not included here, that you don't belong here, right? Um, and I want to give another example um, as we're closing up, or as my portion's closing up, of a, of a moment of joy in action. Um, about 18 years ago, uh, the Minnesota School Outreach uh, Coalition was formed, which was a collection of organizations and individuals who wanted to make schools a safer, more inclusive uh, space for queer and trans students. Uh, and we developed QQuest Youth Fest, uh, which uh, is now 18 years in the running. Um, <laughs> It's old enough to vote, uh, which is exciting. Um, and uh, when we started the conference, uh, we had about 127 high schoolers um, at, 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 a, at, a, at a school. Uh, it was Perpich Center for the Arts. Um, the last time we had it in person, it's now a two-day conference um, at, the, at the convention center, uh, and it has over a thousand young people who attend from all across the state of Minnesota. Um, so it is the, it is the largest and uh, uh, longest-running queer youth conference in the Midwest, which is really exciting. And that came from a community who came together and said, we're not going to accept or tolerate um, the, the absence of, of being able to be visible or having that presence. Um, we're going to make a space where we're all included. Um, and the last time we had that in person, which was 2019, we're doing it in person again this year, so. Um, but the last time we had it in person, uh, we closed uh, the time, uh, the middle school portion, um, with a drag performance from a, a, a student from South High. And sometimes people are like, you did what? And I say, yes, we had a, a, a drag performance from a student at South High. And I am not even joking, all the kids rushed the stage like it was like this rock star sort of moment. And I, and I stepped back and I just snapped a quick picture um, just for my own memory. And when I was looking at it, I, all I saw was these screams and these huge eyes and literal tears and what I was witnessing was joy and it took me a moment to just step back and appreciate all the negative things that we might say in the course of our lives as queer and trans people maybe these students are just gonna say it a little bit less because they got to have a day where they were valued where they were seen where they were cared for where they knew that their story mattered and it doesn't take a big fancy uh, field trip conference to do that that's stuff that we can do every day inside of our classrooms. Sometimes we look at big uh, issues and, and we think we gotta attack the big thing and we forget about the locus of control and power that we have right around us. Um, by having representation in your classroom through curriculum, by hiring queer and trans educators, we're able to create spaces where everyone and all of our families get to see themselves. Um, and now I, I get the honor of passing it off to Faiza who's gonna tell us more about those moments where we can choose joy. Um, my name is Faiza Barmel Holmes. I use she, her pronouns, and I've had the privilege of being an educator for the last 19 years. Um, I recognize and have to acknowledge that when we talk about joy, we also need to recognize gratitude. And so I just wanted to take this moment to extend gratitude to my partner, my family, and my friends who support and love me because it is you that I get the most joy. Um, now I would like you all to just take a moment, and even though this may not feel joyful, I'm getting there, um, <laughs> is that I'd like you to envision a life challenge. And whatever life challenge that may be, right? Because we all carry different things with us. And in that life challenge, whether it's grief or loss or financial hardship or mental or physical health, whatever, right? Um, 
I want you to also, and us to acknowledge that a lot of times despite that, we are still asked to do a job. We're still asked to have responsibilities that we need to fulfill. And I want you to also imagine that, let's say you're carrying that with you, right? Like there are times where we do that in our life and times where we don't. And in this moment you are. And your boss or coworker, somebody at your job says or does something to you that evokes some type of negative response. And the question that I'd like to ask is, what would be something that would help support you or take away some of that negativity? And I'd like you to hold it in your mind, in your heart. And some of you may be holding on to acts of compassion, kindness, love, friendship. And those are exactly what our educational stakeholders need. And by educational stakeholders, I mean those who are invested and participate in the educational system. It's that one commonality of need for humanity that is the first step in creating joy. The amazing thing about joy is that it exists across all identities. It is something for me that is the feeling and action that exposes the humanity in this more tangible world. Joy in education for me as a teacher has looked like enthusiasm for learning and students, staff, coworkers, all being able to be their authentic selves. The other amazing thing about joy is that it's a choice. It can be triggered by you or your collective community. And what that really means to me is, is that either you can choose to create it or when you can't in those times of life's challenges, that you can get it from your collective community. I asked you to kind of reflect on your life challenge as we started because the reality is that none of us are immune to the trials and tribulations of life. And many times we have to move in tandem with that hardship and our job. But the one thing that I want to impress upon you all is that joy is still present even in those moments. And something that comes to mind for me that resonates with me in that experience is that there was a time where I did not think that joy was even a possibility. And it was during a time where I was going through some significant loss. And as most people who go through loss, you have to attend a funeral. So my family and I were taking a very long car ride to the destination, and I was beside myself in grief, inconsolable really, so much so that the car was silent because no one could say anything to me to move me out of that. And then I heard my sister laughing in the back seat. And one thing to know about my sister is that she's my best friend, she's my support, but she also never forgoes a moment to make fun of me or laugh at my expense. <laughs> and so as I was turning around to glare at her and to yell, most likely, she looks at me and she says, no, Faiza, it's really funny. And what I realized is that she was proofreading the obituary in the back seat because I did not have the capacity to do so. And what she realized was that there was a typo with my name. And my name went from Faiza to Fatsa. <laughs> and I realized in that moment that joy was still possible. And the reality is I laughed. And we all laughed, right? Because that's funny. Fatsa's funny. <laughs> and... Um, it felt really extravagant. Joy in that moment felt extravagant. And what I realized is that joy is not extravagant. It feels that way, but it doesn't usually stem from that way. It's these simple things like a typo that allowed a moment for exuberant laughter and some type of support that I felt indirectly. And it also gave me my permanent nickname because I am Fatsa at home. <laughs> uh, 
the irony too is that choosing joy is still a process because life will continue to challenge me as I'm sure it's challenged you all. And we as educators don't have the individual power to transform huge systems and or transform those systems and avoid life's challenges. But we do have the power to make our classrooms and ourselves a joyous place. And so the question that I reflect on and that I encourage all educators to reflect on is how do we build connection with others so that we can continue to choose joy? Thank you. I don't know about y'all, but thank you for taking us to church, you guys. Um, what an amazing um, experience to to share the spa uh, space and the stage with these four people, and thank you. Um, I would like to send uh, a big shout out to my wife, Rebecca, and my son, Elijah. Um, every day you make me a better human being. And coming up the way that I did, I didn't think that was possible. I am happy to say today that I was the first EBD student in Crookston Central High School. Thank you. Um, I also carry the title of being the first self-contained EBD student at Central High School. And um, my name is Matthew Myrold. I use he, him, his pronouns. Um, I am not everybody's favorite flavor of mustard. I want to get that right out right now. Um, I say what's on my heart unapologetically, and I speak truth. And um, truthfully, my, my main concern is don't cuss. <laughs> don't cuss tonight, and don't pace too much. And I have two, 240 seconds to get this done. Um, so what a blessing to be here. Um, I'm currently at Hopkins Public Schools. I'm a restorative justice practice coordinator. Um, this is my 23rd year in education. Uh, I am first and will always be a special education teacher. And um, I love it. 23 years ago, I quit working. I don't have to work. I get to show up. Um, I don't have to do anything. I get to. I get to get up in the morning. I get the blessing of of coming to school to a place that I love. And I get to say hello to 531 elementary students every morning and spread joy and spread love and build just relationships and be in community with people. And every one of us has a story. We are our lived experiences, the summation of all of that. But not a single experience defines us. And our families are the same way. And I think oftentimes we forget that. Our families come in with hopes and dreams. Our families come in with life experience. And sometimes we have to set the book aside. Sometimes we have to set the lesson plan aside that we stayed up late doing, and it's perfect. And sometimes we have to let it be and live life. And I have the blessing of doing that with, with young kids. And I make it a habit of being at the, at the school door every morning, and I have all of my career. I don't know all 535 or 31 students yet, but you be sure that they know me. Um, and they know that I am a safe place to bring in all of life's complexities, 
all of their beauty, their wonder, their messy, their big emotions. They know that in room 149B, <laughs> this is where I can go. And that's an amazing honor and it's an amazing privilege. And I was that kid. I was that messy loud, still am. <laughs> I was that student. And I get to spread joy. I get to comment and, oh, I like your shoes. I like your hat. I try to know, and I'm about 50% now. So I got about 270 kids that I know by name. And I love it. I love to be that beacon of hope, that joy, that, that special moment in a child's life. Because that's what our students and our families need. I love being in service. Um, and when we think about being in service and having the opportunity to spread joy, to spread compassion, to spread love, to share that piece of ourselves, I call it beautiful pain and wonderful challenges. Everything that I have experienced in my lifetime has come circle because I'm able to give that to another human being, to make a connection with another human being. And in itself, that's healing. And in itself, it provides an opportunity for someone to feel, to feel deeply, and to work through that. And it's an amazing privilege and honor. I don't have to work, I get to. I get to show up every day. And you know the ones with the biggest behaviors, they're never absent, <laughs> right? Um, and that, perfect attendance. Why is that? Why is that? Because hopefully there are people there that they've made a connection with. Hopefully there is someone there that sees through the messy, that understands that, yep, this is just a moment. And I love big behavior. The bigger, the better. All right? And we'll sit in a room, and if we want to toss stuff, let's toss it. Because we can pick it up later. But we feel, and we feel intensely as adults. Why would we expect anything different from our children? And it's amazing, and it's a privilege, and it's a gift. And I am so fortunate to be spending my 23rd year doing this. And I didn't cuss. <laughs> I didn't pace too much. And it's an opportunity for y'all to spread joy to whoever you're sitting next to, to whoever you come in contact with, because we need it, all of us, as a collective. And I, I have to say this to, to my four counterpoints. I love y'all. Um, and it is a privilege and an honor and a blessing to share space with you. And I have a lot of heroes here tonight. And I thank you. Ed Talks is presented by Achieve Minneapolis in partnership with the Citizens League. Thanks to our generous sponsor, the Bush Foundation. For more information on Ed Talks or to watch Ed Talks videos or listen to audio podcasts, visit achievempls.org. <laughs>